Chris Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And here we are at Saturday morning. Welcome to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you're just getting up, a little groggy, cup of coffee is in order, or tea if you'd like. I prefer coffee. <laughs> the crew is all here. Diego, Ryan, early risers. They look awake. We're going to rock the house this morning. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222. And we have, of course, I'm going to pull out some stories that uh, we may have touched on during the week. This was a really interesting week. I was on at 12 noon, Monday through Friday. And then again at 4 o'clock for both Snurdley's Rush Hour, which, um, again, Monday through Friday. And here we are at Saturday already, our radio extravaganza, Saturday morning radio extravaganza begins. Uh, we talked with Governor Patterson uh, uh, very briefly, former Governor New York's former. You know, I know Governor Patterson, you, you know, he and Rush had a really, he made a really snarky comment about Rush. Um, back in the day, Russia talked about the fact that he moved out of New York because of the taxes and, and Patterson was governor. Then he, Patterson said, well, if I had known that's what it took out of raise taxes sooner, that's pretty snarky. And of course, Russia went after him and yikes. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I really have a really good relationship with, with governor Dave. We, we get along. I mean, yes, he's a Democrat. Yes, he's a liberal. But he and I have agreed that we're going to work with each other to see what we can do to elevate in serious discussion and policy reform in schools. Especially, I'm concerned about schools not just in New York, but around the country. If you look at every school district, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's um, Atlanta, Detroit, Philadelphia, what you see is black and Hispanic kids failing at horrific rates, right? And we're not even talking about what goes on on American Indian or Native American reservations. Again, same story. And I refuse to believe that these children are inferior to everyone else. I'm not going there. I don't believe it. I I believe that if you challenge children and if they have a healthy environment, that they are just as capable as learning and becoming productive members of society and excelling and exceeding our expectations as anyone else. We are all God's creatures. These children are no different. What is different is the way that children are treated. If you look at New York, there's an expectation in many places that these children are going to fail anyway. So let's just, I remember it being an Andrew, when I was in Andrew Jackson High School in Queens, I remember we compared notes after um, we got our report cards in one quarter. And depending on where you were sitting, the teacher, uh, and thankfully I don't even remember his name, had gone and just marked like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, and there was and, and no relation to the work that was performed. It was as if it were a game. I remember being in school when uh, a war broke out when I was in elementary school, 
and the teacher brought in his transistor radio and for a week listened to news reports while we were supposed to be learning. I remember violence was acceptable. It was almost expected. And so the response to it was, well, of course these little are going to fight. Who cares? I remember also the disciplinary problems that teachers had trying to get children under control. I I, I did when Joel and I, James and Joel, when when we used to go out to schools in New York and, and because we were asked to talk and to students. And I remember in some cases you could go to certain schools and the students would be very attentive and, or at least polite, you go to other schools and you're dealing with these young thugs who were just there to disrupt. And by the way, the same thing happened later on when I moved out of New York um, to other places and I continued to go into different schools and speak. I remember going back to a Queens school, by the way, and the entire session that I was supposed to be talking about was kids acting out, throwing things in the classroom, yelling at each other, screaming like little animals. And I'm just like, what, what, why is this acceptable? It's acceptable because no one expected anything different than these kids, and no one would actually uh, discipline them harshly, I believe. And some of it was that teachers couldn't discipline but so much. They themselves are under attack. And no one cares if these teachers get hurt in the line of duty. And I'm, just think about that. For a moment, teachers actually coming into a classroom to teach children, and and in some cases you're talking about elementary, junior high school, and high school, and having to be worried about their own safety. It's as if the world has gone mad in these schools. And these schools are isolated. Nobody cares about these schools. In New York City, I keep, and if I'm sorry if this bores you, because I keep reporting the figure. Oh, it's over 242 failing schools in New York, according to the last report I read. Two, not, not one, not two failing schools, 242-plus schools in New York City with failing, with failing grades. Most of the students that come out of these schools will not be able to read at a sufficient level to work in a in a job, in a high-paying job. Most of them will never have an opportunity, for instance, to get a tech job in Silicon Valley or a tech job anywhere else or work in a high-school job. These, If they're lucky at all, some of them will become laborers. How many will actually be able to fulfill a career in the arts and the sciences? Because they're never taught that. And yet, year after year, we pour billions and billions of dollars into education, and this is the result. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. We get nothing for it in these cases. And so these kids grow up. They become your little criminals in waiting while they're in school, practicing their little criminal deeds. They graduate to big crime because the street life is glorified in so many quarters of our society. And then... You know, the, the one of the off tracks is, oh, let's be a rapper or let's be, you know, an athlete. Only a few, there are only a few positions in professional sports. And even in professional sports, what is one of the things that I think is tragic 
is that you can look at some of these athletes that excel physically, but they can't put together 15 words to make a paragraph. Even they have no real education. And then, of course, they parrot what other liberal, whatever liberal talking point there is on a political issue, trying to sound intelligent. And they have no understanding of American history, no understanding of American culture, no understanding of pretty much anything beyond a fourth or fifth grade rudimentary level. And that's okay. Same thing, by the way, with some of these Hollywood entertainers. For all practical purposes, they are morons. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but when it comes to American history, when it comes to American culture, when it comes to understanding our society, these people have no clue. So a long way around, this is what what David Patterson and I have decided that we're going to try to, um, to, to start talking about in more earnest and try to work with other people to make an effective change. If we do not change this, no matter what else happens in America, we will always be struggling with a criminal class that's out of control. We'll always be struggling with people who hate this country because that's all they've learned. They haven't learned anything about what this country really represents in the, on the world stage and on the hist- and on the stage of um, mankind's history. So we have to change this. To me, this is the you talk about all the issues that affect us, and there are many. But this is the one that is one of the most vital issues if we are ever going to change America and and have people of every walk of life achieve their potential as American citizens. We have to get a handle on this. And it is not comfortable because it actually means that somebody's going to have to stand up and start addressing racial aspects of this that aren't comfortable to talk about. Okay, Uh, sorry, if you're raising a bunch of thugs and that's in your society, by the definition of thugs, is uh, it's just amazing how that word came into our lexicon. That's another story for another time. But if you if you have kids and you if you have children and you're raising them to be a bunch of thugs and then when your little thugs get into altercations with the police and get shot, get wounded, and then you march out on the street whooping and hollering that you are being oppressed. Something here doesn't click, doesn't make sense. By the same token, and I say this clearly, I am not a proponent of the rogues that are in the police forces. One of the things I talked about yesterday or this week was, you know, every time these murders, these horrific crimes happen, you know, you hear a common refrain when people don't snitch. Who did this? And they don't snitch. And then you always hear... You know, you watch these police shows, you hear police shaking their heads. Oh, tis, 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 these people in this neighborhood, they won't tell us who committed these crimes. You know, yeah, yeah, you snitch, you end up in a ditch with stitches. Yeah, 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 the whole thing. Well, you ever hear the blue wall of science? silence? Police don't snitch on each other. They don't tell who the rogue cops are so that they can cleanse their department of those. So there has to be a cultural change on both sides of the issue of law enforcement, which will bring me into a column by Mara Gay. Who is she? She's a 
editorial board member of the New York Times, the, the, the gray lady. I find myself in an unfortunate position of having to defend Mayor Adams because she went after him. Mayor Eric Adams is stuck on ideas from 1994 for crime in 2022. That's what she writes. Mara Gay. Mayor Eric Adams, New York City, understands the assignment to keep the nation's largest city safe amid an alarming rise in violent crime, by the way. A quick aside, violent crime is up over 50% since the mayor took office. Mr. I'm going to get a handle on crime. And then she goes on to talk about some of the 10 shooting victims this week. But Adams appears to be in a time warp, she says. His approach to crime stuck somewhere around the year 1994, which, by the way, is a critical year for Democrats. That's the year the crime bill came in office. Democrats have been ticked about the crime bill ever since it was signed into law. Who was behind the crime bill? Oh, gee, that would be Joe Biden. That would be Bill Clinton. That would be the Democrats. They're the ones that got this crime bill that now all the Democrats hate. And this crime bill was tough on crime. It actually sent criminals to jail. And these Democrats, like this editorial writer, this brilliant woman at the New York Times, still can't get over that people actually went to jail for their crimes. Don't believe me? Listen. In an interview with New York One News on April 13th, Mr. Adams claimed that those who protested police violence, such as the killing of George Floyd in 2020, failed to also protest gun violence. If Black Lives Matter, then the thousands of people I saw on the streets when Floyd was murdered should be on the street right now, stating that the lives of these black children that are dying every night matters, he said. In an interview, 60 Minutes, April 24th, the mayor repeated that line, Democrats don't like talking about intervention, but we have to lean into the discomfort of the immediate things we must do because you can't say Black Lives Matter when a police officer shoots a young person, but does that Black Life Matter when a 12-year-old baby was shot? Now, listen to what this woman, this educated, by the way, black woman over at the New York Times has to say about this. Mr. Adams' choice of words was an unwelcome throwback. In the 1990s, long before the Black Lives Matter movement, similar language about the need to focus on so-called black-on-black crime was pervasive in public discussion of crime and policing. This trope was often used to deflect discussion from structural racism or calls for police reform. Black conservatives have also sometimes used such language while all while talking about the need for self-reliance among black Americans. Oh, so this little, this, no, please don't be insulting to this woman. Stop, James, stop. This woman believes that there's something wrong with talking about self-reliance, that black people should be self-reliance. That's not a good thing, according to this woman. Something's wrong with that, saying people should be reliant on themselves and not depend on the government for handouts or dependent on somebody. They should be taught to be strong human beings, reliant on themselves and their own intellect and their own God-given capabilities. That's not a good thing, according to this editorial 
writer for the New York Times. And also, black-on-black crime is a trope. It doesn't exist. Well, this dimwit, I'm sorry, let me pull it back. This woman apparently does not understand a basic statistic that happens to be true, that the biggest threat to the lives of black men between the ages of 18 and 54 are other black men who will kill them at a moment's notice. And it is happening in cities all around this country. Sadly, it's not just black men, because some of these morons take aim and shoot wherever and end up killing innocent women and children as well. And yet to this woman who works for the high and mighty New York Times, this is all a trope. This is all some kind of political trope. And what she's really ticked at is in the next one, but we have to take a break. So I want to continue with it on the other side of this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. MJ brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. I was walking here to the studios. It was still dark this morning. All of a sudden, this song popped into my mind. Yeah. From the Thriller album. I think Steve Picaro is one of the writers on this song. That album was just, as you know, so groundbreaking. And there'll never be another MJ. Quincy Jones producing. Okay, let us get back to Miss Mara Gay, editorial board member for the New York Times, who took Mayor Adams to task for actually pointing out factual information about black-on-black crime. And it's not just New York City, folks. This is all over America. This is Chicago every single weekend. This is every single city that these liberal Democrats, like Ms. Mara Gay, I'm assuming, run. Every single city, plagued by the same thing. And yet this woman has the audacity to go after Eric Adams. And here I am defending Eric Adams for actually noting that people should care about the lives of black children that are taken. She's opposed to that. And she says the kind of talk that Adams is doing, talking about this black-on-black crime, these tropes, as she called them, which happen to be factual, 
This talk gave broad cover for Democrat politicians, at least she has that right, and others who implemented tough-on-crime policies in the early 90s, including what is now known as the 1994 Crime Bill. The law's provisions encouraged states to adopt tougher mandatory sentences to build more prisons, directed federal dollars to a war on drugs that largely targeted poor people, and helped lead to the incarceration of millions of black and Hispanic young men, many of whom were sent to prison for minor offenses, destabilizing families and communities across the United States. Oh, woe is us. Sending freaking criminals to jail is bad. Now, notice she didn't say that the crime bill sent innocent people to jail. No, she's complaining that we've actually built more prisons and that we incarcerated people that actually committed crimes. Well, Garly, ain't that something? And you know what happened as a result? I'll tell you what happened. The crime rate went down. That's what happened. When all these jails were built after the 1994 crime bill, all this stuff happened, and we were in the middle of the crack epidemic, which she doesn't mention. People were killing each other in droves and stealing and robbing to to put crack in their bodies. And it was horrific. And that's why black politicians like Maxine Waters, see, I remember all this stuff. I was paying attention back then. Maxine Waters and everybody else would, white people don't care about this. This is a problem for black people. We have to do something about this. This is terrible. So we did something about it. We threw the criminals in jail. And you know what happened? Crime went down. Well, hot damn. Ain't that something? Throw the criminals in jail and crime rates go down. And this is what she's complaining about. She complains that Adams has uh, restarted the police department's controversial anti-gun movement. She says uh, policing is part of the solution to the city's concerns about public safety. But in 2020, more aggressive policing cannot be the only significant response. Now, I do agree with that. We need more than aggressive policing, but we do need it. The funny thing about it is this woman, high and mighty, editorial board writer, doesn't have any solutions herself. Nothing here in this article tells what she thinks the solution is. She doesn't come up with a solution for stopping this massive onslaught by criminals. The only thing she has is a bunch of a bunch of criticism for Adams actually calling out black people who kill other black people, black people who kill babies. That's the only thing she's it's these tropes. This is why a lot of these intellectual liberals, they're actually, when it comes to, to public policy, they're worthless. Because the only thing they're wrapped up in is this whole liberal talking point stuff. Oh, we're not allowed. You are the problem, miss. You are part of the problem. Because you won't confront honestly what is happening in this city. And you won't, com- com- you won't 
confront honestly what is happening across this nation. Until we deal with honesty, we're not going to get these problems solved. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, back. If you want to weigh in on this, by all means, 800-848-WABC. And I know we have people on hold already. Be patient. Got to take care of a few other things. And we are going to come to your telephone call. So don't go away. But if you want to comment on this, love to you. And if, if Miss, what's her name, Gay, if you're out there, if any of you know her, and you've already waking her up, oh, man, it, this guy's not talking about you favorably on W. Call in. I'd be glad to have you tell me I'm wrong. I'll be glad to have you tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. We can have a civil discussion about this, if you dare. But I don't think I'll ever get a call from her, because this is the kind of crap that liberals put out every freaking day of the week, and then they, they will never, ever really debate their lunacy. And that's what this is. Lunacy. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, coming back after this. WABC. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. All the notes bring us back your kiss. That beautiful kiss is on my list. Saturday morning. You know, your kiss is on my list, Hall of Notes. I asked for a mix. Because we're doing Hall of Notes. Let's just jam it, okay? Saturday morning, WABC Talk Radio 77. Baby hair with a woman's eyes. I can feel you watching in the night. All alone with me, I were waiting. Sunlight. Sunlight is on the way this morning. When I feel cold, you warm me. And when I feel I can't go on, you come and hold me. It's you and me forever. that bring back such beautiful memories oh won't you smile for me Sarah WABC like Talk Radio 77 this is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza let's start on the telephones Gail in Manhattan welcome how are you this morning Gail I'm fine thank you good morning I just wanted to point out 
you can't expect too much from Mara Gay of the New York Times. Oh, wait a minute. Um, do you remember at the, uh, around the time of the 2020 presidential election? Yeah. She goes on TV from time to time. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. Go ahead. Yeah, my dogs get it all worked up. Um, anyway, the 2020 presidential election, she goes on TV from time to time. She went on CNN and complained uh, because Michael Bloomberg, in his unsuccessful uh, presidential campaign, wasted $300 million of his dollars of his own money. And she complained he would have been better served by giving that $300 million, giving $1 million each to the 300 citizens of this country. When in reality, he could have maybe afforded to give each of them a dollar, unless you're talking about 300 million million. So right. it's not very good math. And nobody on the panel <laughs> even corrected her. They just all nodded their disapproval. It was it was pretty ridiculous. So you can't expect too much from her. Don't be too hard on her. Okay, I, I thank you for that admonition. Yes, you're, I, you're right. I shouldn't be too hard on her. I understand. Thank you, Gail, for pointing that out and bringing our memory back to that. Appreciate it very much. Let us, since we have already delved into the telephones, let's go to Mark in Staten Island. Mark, welcome this morning, uh, Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. You're on with James Golden. How are you? Good morning, my friend. I'm fine. Um, I want to tell you of an experience I had uh, when I was in eighth grade in junior high school, 281 in Brooklyn. Okay. We had a teacher. This teacher had tenure. She was a total nut job. She used to put the waste paper baskets in the clothes closets, for one. She gave us third grade work. And what grade I mean, were I, you in? Eighth grade. And she used to give you third grade work? Yeah, third grade textbook. This is 1974-75. And... Um, I mean, it was a, t- a total zoo. She kept the windows open and the shades closed during the winter time. Wow. And if you, I mean, it was <laughs> it was absolutely a zoo. I think she did that to say, "Look how my class excels." We, we used to do two two lessons in twenty minutes, you know, and all the answers correct. So maybe she used that as an excuse to say, "Look, look, look what a good teacher I am," and her her mind anyway. I don't know. I don't know what. And this was allowed to continue. This was a goodness. The next year, during around the big layoffs because because of Lindsay's budget crisis, he created. She kept her job because she had tenure, and one of the best loved teachers in the school lost his job. You know, I I was so glad to get out of there. We moved to Staten Island the following year. I I mean, it was just a it was insanity. It really was. And you know what? That kind of insanity. I, I go back to when I was uh, when I was attending school in New York. And, and to me, those are the good old days now. I mean, we had ninth grade. One of the students got stabbed to death in the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, let's see, we had teachers that were routinely verbally assaulted. Back then, no one would think about physically assaulting the teacher. But we had teachers that were verbally assaulted every day. And it has gotten so much worse since then. And this is one of the reasons why, well, Miss Gay would certainly not approve of me saying this. But until this entire culture is held up with a magnifying glass and say, you know what, this is wrong. You can't continue like this. This is wrong. You can't have these little thugs in waiting 
being coddled by their parents. You hear you hear these incidents, and they do happen. The parents actually are called because the kid misbehaves. The parents come up to the school. The parents end up fighting the teacher. How dare you pick on my little thug? You know, so, I mean, the whole culture has to be held up and said this has to stop. One of the things I talked about with Governor Patterson, when I used to um, – I used to work out with a guy in New York, in, in New Jersey, when I was in, uh, lived in Inglewood. And every Saturday morning, we would be out jogging. And then they, boy, I hate that. Um, and, and it shows these days, too, sadly. Um, every Saturday, we'd be out jogging in the neighborhood, no matter what the weather was. And you know what? Every Saturday morning, we would pass, like, three or four different places in the neighborhood where you see all the Asian kids lined up getting on school buses. No, she said, what the hell is going on here? They're going to Saturday school. And you know where these Asian kids are today? I know where they're not. They're not in any of the ghettos in New York. I know that many of these kids must now have families of their own and be doing incredibly well because they were highly educated. But their education didn't come from parents that were opposed to educating their kids. These you, you you read that book. Some of you may have been familiar with the book, The Tiger Mom. It talks about how this push to make sure that these children excel. And they challenge these kids. They push them hard. And these kids end up being very productive. They end up excelling. They These kids are not walking around talking about how they hate America and America is oppressive. They're participating in American prosperity. Because they are equipped to do that. So you contrast that with some of what is going on in some of these other cultures. And if you're honest about it, then you have to run into these liberals like Miss Gay who find something wrong with honesty. Oh, putting people in jail is bad. Putting criminals in jail is bad. But training little thugs to become criminals, not a word. Anyway. Thank you for the call. Appreciate appreciate it so much. Let us go to Westchester. William, WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. What's up? Hi, James. Different kind of uh, middle school horror story. A friend of mine teaching math middle school in a small, horrible district just north of the Bronx. He was the worst math teacher in the district. So what did they do? They transferred him. Best move they could have made. The day after uh, Labor Day, when all the teachers report, my pal is trying to organize his new classroom. Principal comes in and he says, hey, Mike, I'm Dr. X. I'm the principal here. If you need me, ring the office, but I won't be there. I will be in the hallway. <coughs> I'll be in a classroom. The same for all the administrators, same for all the guidance counselors. This school was run by the adults. And uh, whenever parents had to come in, the parents were apologizing for the kid's conduct. He went from the worst teacher in the district to the best. Interesting sidelight, the principal was hated by his peers because he showed what could be done by not spending a penny more, by using uh, by using up the uh, uh, his shoes and not the backside of his pants sitting down. Uh, he was harassed. He moved to another district where he became superintendent at a district just outside of uh, outside of uh, Poughkeepsie, but uh, again, it showed what could be done where the adults are in charge. It's got nothing to do with the kids. You know what? You just reminded me of something. When I was in, in my early days as a student in New York City schools, we, the young students, 
were terrified that if we misbehaved, we were going to be sent to a 600 school. The 600 schools had a reputation. That was like you're going to the jail of schools. You're going to the prison of schools. If you misbehave, if you get suspended, I forgot how many times, but we all would, and students would talk about this stuff among ourselves. If you get suspended and then you get suspended, blah, 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 times, you get expelled and then you get sent to a 600 school. Well, what were the 600 schools? And this is no joke. Today, they would not be allowed to be in existence. They're not in existence anymore. The 600 schools were mostly run with male teachers who didn't tolerate any BS. And when you got sent to a 600 school, you either shaped up or that was it. You were out of the school system. And the male teachers there didn't take your crap. They didn't put up with misbehavior. There was discipline, real discipline, if you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, you could walk around and threaten your your teacher, but if you would threaten some of these guys in the 600 schools, a lot of these guys had come from World War II, you know, Korean War. They were the guys, former service guys, who were part of the school system, and they didn't take any crap from kids. These days, if you talk about adults, there was a, there's a story today. I I it's somewhere in my stacks of news about a teacher who choked a student. And that's all they say. This teacher choked a student and they and they um say the educator say we will not tolerate this. We will not. I kept what did that student do? Did that student there was a, another story a few weeks ago where this student threw a chair this was in Atlanta picked up a chair, threw it at an elderly teacher. The teacher was 72 years old. The teacher's bleeding, and this teacher picked up the chair and threw it right back at the student, right? And and so there was an investigation. This is what I'm talking about. You have these thugs, these little criminals in training, and they act out in school, and there's nothing that these teachers can do about it. I want to know. I want to read this. I'm going to see if there's any more news on this other incident with this uh, student that was choked, because they never tell the story. What did the student do? Was he one of the ones threatening the teacher, and the teacher's just not going for it? Did he hit the teacher? We don't know. It just says student choked, and and are we supposed to assume that the student was this little angelic creature, and the teacher was just a madman? and just decided for no reason at all to go choke his little angelic student? Anyway, WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back, more of your calls, and we've got a lot more news. Uh, And later on in the program, Princess Di joins us. Later on in the program, I'm going to talk about something we don't normally promote that we're talking about, abortion. Because there's there are two – did you know that J.J., the guy that did the Star Wars movies – uh, J.J., what's his name? There's a play, Abrams, yeah. There's a play from one of his companies on about abortion. It's a comedy about abortion that's in the city. Well, there was going to be a counterplay so that people could see both sides of that issue, but the counterplay was killed off. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, too. So don't go away. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, back right after this. Radio 77. 
Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Al Jarreau brings us back here on WABC. One of the great talents of the last century, yeah, last century, started listening to Al Jarreau when in the 70s, late 70s. What an amazing artist. Let's head back to the telephones. Let's go to central New Jersey and speak with Pamela. Pamela, welcome. You're on with James Golden. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you this morning, Pamela? Well, good morning. Um, yeah, um, what you were talking about, the 600 schools in the 70s in New Jersey, the vocational technical training schools became the dumping grounds, so-called, which is a shame for troublemakers. And as we all know, vocational training is so important. And um, it's a shame that it was synonymous with, oh, if you don't behave, you're going to a Votech school. And uh, that's that's a shame. I, I think it's cha- it's starting to change, uh, you know, in New Jersey. But that was the 600 school of the wow. 70s. Early and you're right. Yeah. That is unfortunate because Votech schools give children an opportunity. Look, everybody is not. We have this like cooker, cookie cutter mentality when it comes to school. Everybody's supposed to excel at academics. Everybody's supposed to excel at this. And if they don't, there's something wrong with them. Guess what? There are some kids who work with their hands. And you know what? They're geniuses with their hands. That's how their brains are wired. There are some children, there are some people who can go through and understand everything about mechanics and, and the way that mechanics operate in, in, from a very young age. Their brains are somehow wired to understand it. I don't understand how they do it. And instead of having an education system that actually observes students and says, hmm, this is where your talents seem to be heading. Let's help you get to the next stage in this. It's all, well, if you don't pass the standardized test, then you're an idiot and you have to go out. And for black kids, it's even and, and Hispanic kids, I'll tell you one of the most insulting things. Now, I'm going to get into some trouble here because I know I'm supposed to be all like integration, integration. You know, that was the whole 1960s deal. But there's a side of integration that we don't ever talk about in this country. I understand that separate but equal, the way it was being practiced in America, was horrific because there was never equal. It was just separate. But the idea that if you live in a community and your community makeup is mostly black, that you can't attend a school in your community because 
we can't have all you black ones sitting together is absurd. Or all you white ones sitting together. I found that absurd. Okay, it's like, so they tell black kids, and they used to do this all the time, oh, you have to get on a bus at 6 o'clock in the morning and go and be transported somewhere into a community that you don't belong in so you can sit next to white kids. What do they think? The white's supposed to rub off on you, and that's when you become smart? No. It, it, there were black kids in black neighborhoods that were doing fine, thank you very much, before all of this, before all this busing and all this stuff happened. And the same with white kids. They would get white kids out of their neighborhoods because supposedly they're privileged and then ship them way across town so they could be with the thugs. People beating them up. They don't even, you know, you don't even hear about that. That was part of the whole New York scene, too. And I always thought this stuff was ridiculous. The, our entire approach to educating children is absurd. It's all this cookie-cutter business. They're all the same. We don't look at them as being individuals, having individual skills and talents. We do all this racial crap that just reinforces more racial crap that continues as they grow up. We need an, um, we need an overhaul of education in America, a serious overhaul. And you know what? The Chinese aren't waiting for this. They're already doing some of these things. They see where kids, where their children are excelling, and they push them in those directions. It's not this cookie-cutter thing. If you misbehave in those schools, education is not deemed as some right. It's a privilege. So if, you, if you're if you going to do that, you're out. You're not going to move ahead in school if you're threatening teachers and misbehaving. We tolerate so much nonsense in this society that we don't have to tolerate. Anyway, he's on a rant. Let's go back to the telephones. Brooklyn, New York. Susan, how are you, Susan? Oh, I'm always good when I can hear your sizzling voice. And you really got going this morning. I did listen to um, you with Dr. uh, Dr. Patterson. And I think that's very constructive. Um, But what I wanted to just say, one of the things I learned that is not understood uh, is that the failing schools, once they're designated a failing school, failing public school, then guess who steps in? The federal government. Here's more so money. School, more Here. money, but they come with mandates, basically regulations. Mm. And those regulations, so it, it's a it's a fallacy that the the poor that the um, underperforming schools get they get more money, but because of so that's why charter schools, and I see that there's a movement by the Biden administration who's joined at the hip with the teachers' unions, which are a big problem in so many ways. They don't want to show that these charter schools, probably per student, much less money, much higher performance, and charter schools will close if they do not show student performance. That's why they get the charter. So it's okay if charter schools, as some people say, well, some charter schools don't work. Yeah, but they don't continue on forever, ruining lives of little children that, you know, are going to be just subjugated to failure. So this is very important. So, But, and federal money, 
could be used for opportunity scholarships if we get President Trump back in, we get some Republicans taken over, because this money that goes to education is is just this is what makes me so insane. This is we should have we could this this could be fixed. Yes, indeed, it could be fixed. Now, let me just say something, because you mentioned charter schools and I have to do a disclosure. I am a board member of a charter school. I'm on the board of directors of a charter school in Florida. And this is this school is called a G-Star. G-Star trains kids to to excel in the film and industry and in media and all that. That's why it was founded. It has kids from every economic strata. Over half the kids are from what we would call under the poverty line. It also, get this, has there has never been in the years that it has been operating, almost 20 years now, they have never had a fight in the school. Never had a fight. Not one from students. There's politics not allowed in the school. We're here to work. I'll tell you one story, and I'll have to be brief at it. Um, there was a child that came in who was um, autistic, and he had never experienced school like this before. When he came home, his parents were stunned because he was talking about his experience at this school. And he had never talked to his parents about any experience in any of the schools he had gone to. And the thing that he came back and said on day one has broke his parents up is that he had made friends. Kids came to him and befriended him. That is the cooperative and compelling attitude in this school. No gangs, no bullying, all of that. The children are screened very carefully before they're let into this school. But once they're in there, they excel, all of them. This is what's possible in a charter school environment. This is what's possible in schools all over. And Susan was right. There was a story yesterday in American Wire News. Um, Bloomberg attacks Biden administration over charter school crackdown. And again, here's Michael Bloomberg's name coming up in this. Democrats in the Biden administration are trying their best to give a knockout blow to charter schools all around America at the behest of teachers unions. And remember, Joe Biden is the one that said he didn't want his kids going to jungle schools. Remember that. I don't want my kids going to them jungle schools. And now he's trying to shut down charter schools where minority students especially can escape failing schools in their city. This is who these Democrats are. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. Our number two coming up. Don't go away. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is Saturday morning. This is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Bo Snurdly, uh, a.k.a. James Golden, or James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, with you here on 77 WABC. We're going to continue to take your calls. We have a whole board lined up. People want to weigh in. Mostly on education matters, but there are a few other things, too. Joy Reid. Really? Okay. So we'll take all of that. And um, your calls are always welcome. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 
848-9222. And, you know, Netflix, there's a story uh, in, I think this is Breitbart. Yeah, the story in Breitbart today, Netflix layoffs are growing. Staff at their fan site, Tundum, are, have just been axed. Wall Street was stunned, apparently, when Netflix came up and said, We're, we've lost 200,000 subscribers in their first quarter, and they're expecting to lose 2 million more in the months ahead. People are fed up with Netflix, apparently. You know, I don't... I have Netflix, and to be honest with you, when I first got Netflix, I used to, you know, this was like the go-to to watch the movies, okay, because they had some really good movies on. Now, mostly, I don't even watch Netflix because it's it's all this post, a lot, just, I always get this jacked up. Apple, yeah, Apple, thank you. I don't know why I have such problems with that, apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic crap. That's all that's on there. The world's coming to an end. The world's, we got six survivors and the world's, it's all that stuff or else it's all this perverse, these perverse movies that I don't want to have anything to do with. I didn't even know about this cuties thing. And how how perverse was that? Little 11-year-old, supposedly 11-year-old girls that were doing the sex thing. And, and this is what Netflix thinks is suitable to watch. I would have I would have canceled Disney. But Disney next month starts Obi-Wan and I'm not canceling Disney till after I see Obi-Wan. Oh, I know it's pathetic. I, I cuz when they started this stuff with this whole sexualized getting behind this this and lying about the calling it the don't say gay bill, and they started all this stuff with that. I was like, you know, what is wrong with Disney? I need to just get rid of Disney. But then the very day that I was thinking about doing the, I was, the ve- I'm not kidding. The very day I thought it, maybe I should cancel my Disney subscription, they released the Obi-Wan trailer. And I watched the Obi-Wan trailer. And I'm like, oh, no, I have to see this. And, you know, Boba Fett just finished The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, whoever wrote the end of last the, the season on Mandalorian, they killed it. This stuff, what Disney is doing was, wait a minute, I shouldn't even be talking about this because it sounds like I'm, like, trying to get people to subscribe to Disney. And I'm not. But I just got to tell you the truth. You know, I'm a Star Wars fan, and I have been so disappointed in the movies, except for Rogue One. Rogue One, to me, was the best Star Wars movie of the whole lot. And then Han Solo, it was okay. It was it was like it was entertaining. It wasn't bad. It wasn't as bad as that movie that revolted everybody, that Jar Jar Binks movie. That was like the worst Star Wars movie ever with Jar Jar. And then the end of the scene with Obi-Wan and, and, and Anakin, you know, Anakin always seemed like a little punk to me in the early days, like a little whiny little punk. And then, like, he rose up, got his legs and arms chopped off, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's now Darth Vader, which was really cool, Darth Vader. Right? But then, 
okay, so we put up with the Star Wars movies, and then comes this last three, the last trilogy of Star Wars, with this girl that's supposed to be the new Jedi warrior. I'm sorry, if y'all haven't seen it already, the movies have been out of the theaters. Spoiler alerts, not necessary. You've had plenty of time to see these movies. So then you get to the to the last one with this girl who nobody who she doesn't know who she is. No one knows who she is, and she's got you know Vader's grandson, who's a little punk himself with these wild temper tantrums. Then this girl somehow becomes like a master Jedi with no training. I mean, she's like trained for two seconds by Luke. And all of a sudden, she's the most powerful Jedi ever. It made no sense. The whole thing, the whole movie made no sense. It was a bunch of political correct themes put on top of other political correct themes. They make sure they had the same sex scene in there so that people could say, ooh, we got some gay stuff in Star Wars. And then they made sure that they, the way that they dissed the black guy, oh, that was epic. Okay, because they led you to believe he was going to be a real deal in the movie, and they totally dissed him. It's like every movie, it's just like, how can we write this guy out even more and more? And he finally got pissed and went public about it. It was like his role was so confusing. At first, he was supposed to be in love with the girl, the main character, who's the Jedi with no training, and he ends up falling in love with some other girl, or not in love. They have something. It's not even a relationship. And then the next thing you know, He's hugging the guy, and that's the end of it. Like, what, what did they do to you? And they didn't even make him a, a, a Jedi, nothing. This is like the black guy. How can we get this guy out of the movie? That was Disney, by the way. That's Disney. How can we get the black guy out of the movie? Right? So those those Star Wars, those last Star Wars movies, I was I was if George Lucas, you ought to be embarrassed at that stuff. I know you sold it to Disney, but you should have just said, "Look, we can't do this. You guys got to no, no, we can't do this." Right. So then you look at Disney streaming. Mandalorian was freaking brilliant. It was brilliant. Boba Fett, brilliant. And now. They have Obi-Wan coming out. And that looks like it's going to be brilliant as well. And after that, if Disney's still trying to, you know, when I need to have my Disney fix, I just go watch the episode of The Ring on South Park. Have you ever seen that episode? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to The Ring. Just Google the ring on South Park and go to the scene. It's about Jonas Brothers and the purity ring. And go to the scene with Mickey Mouse and the Jonas Brothers. That's all I will say. Go to that scene and you will see why I love this scene so much. Okay. <laughs> anyway, all that started with this Netflix stuff. So Netflix is losing gazillions of subscribers. And I don't feel sorry for them. It's like, would you stop putting on crappy movies and put on movies with good stories? And if you can't find movies with good stories in Hollywood, maybe it's time to start looking past Hollywood. Netflix is depressing. 
who wants to pay all this money every month and end up feeling depressed when you look through their lineup? It's either politically correct, it's perverse, or it's depressing. Who wants to see that? <sighs> Princess Di is going to be here. Can't wait. Horrifying. Ronan McDaniel sounds off on, here we go back to big tech, on Google, well, all the tech companies. The Republican National Committee, along with the National Republican Senatorial Committee and the National Republican Congressional Committee, have filed an FEC complaint against Google after a study found that the majority of GOP candidates' fundraising emails sent to Gmail accounts went to spam. Now, this is actually pretty amazing. Google apparently has been targeting emails that come about Republican candidates. They've got something that sends it to the spam box. The researchers in North Carolina, nonpartisan researchers, said that with Republican Party and campaign emails, 70% of Republican candidates' emails went to spam boxes. For Democrats, less than 10% ended up in spam boxes. So Google has its hand, had its thumb on the scale. Emails from Republican candidates go to spam. Emails from Democrats go in the inbox. Anybody surprised if this is true? And if it's an FEC complaint, I'll tell you what ought to happen after that. There ought to be a lawsuit against the Dear Alphabet Company. I tell you, these social media companies, and everybody knows it, that's why it has been so enjoyable to watch these liberals cry and moan over Elon Musk's potential uh, purchase of Twitter. Because everyone knows what they've been doing. By the way, my Twitter, after Elon Musk said he's going to buy it, all of a sudden I gained like thousands and thousands and thousands of followers overnight. And before that, I had lost like thousands of followers overnight. Bo Snerdly, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y, at, it's at Bo Snerdly. That's my Twitter and Facebook, at Bo Snerdly, in case you're interested. We also have a twice-a-day news blast, the Daily BS. You can go to jamesgolden.com, bosnerdly.com, and you can sign up for that twice-a-day news blast. It is getting rave reviews, by the way. So <clears throat> there you have it. Not sorry about Netflix. Too bad, Mike. Come up with some good movies. People make, you know, re-sign up. And again, as soon as, uh, see, but I know what Disney's going to do. Because as soon as Obi-Wan goes off, then they're going to start saying, okay, Mandalorian's coming back. And then as soon as that's over, they're going to say, Boba Fett's coming back. And I'm not going to ever be able to get out of this cycle. I've been seeing the commercials for Dr. Strange, too. Yeah, you know, the whole Marvel world, I'm, never mind, that's a whole, yeah. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Boston Early. And if you think the Marvel world is bad, can somebody, like, tell DC Comics that boring, boring, 
really boring. I keep saying, I don't want to see another Batman reboot. We've seen Batman rebooted about 30 times already. I don't want to see another Superman dies and comes back to life and is resurrected again. I don't want to see another Lois Lane. Boring. Can't you people come up with something new that's not politically correct? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back right after this. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25-plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno, he's your numero uno. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Ambrosia brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77 your Saturday morning radio extravaganza. I found something I want to hear. I like this. So you have to do a mix. I'll tell you in your ear. Yeah, Ambrosia, all right. Yes, you do. Let's head back to the telephone, shall we? Wow, it's been a long time since I've heard Ambrosia. What an amazing group they were. Hey, let's go to Don in Mount Dora, Florida, because he's been waiting so long. Don, thank you for your patience. How are you? Oh, good morning, Mr. Snurdly. I am a 73-year-old Vietnam veteran, lifelong Republican, and a listener of Russian Golden since the Clinton days. Wow. Thank and, you. Uh, I certainly uh, I am very blessed. My life has been blessed with family and everything. <clears throat> I uh, I think I'm a well-rounded Republican. Um, yet I'm I think I'm a good citizen. I try to listen to points of view on the other side, and I've noticed lately that Miss um, uh, Joy Reid oh. uh, and uh, Rachel Maddow, who hasn't been on for a while, but um, if you ever notice, if you, if you weren't, uh, if you had your eyes closed listening to Joy Reid, she has much of the same mannerisms, speech patterns, and facial expressions as Rachel Maddow. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but I have not because I can't get past Joy Reid's hateful rhetoric all the time. Frankly, this is one of the most bitter, 
angry human beings I have ever seen in, in media. I, she the other day went on a rant about how Republicans are homophobic and racist. And it's like she hasn't forgotten her own homophobia spilled out. She was so negative toward homosexuals. And in her tweet, and they let her stay on NBC. I think they're afraid to fire her. I think that they're afraid of that she's going to turn that venom on them if they fire her. She's been hateful to almost every black conservative that I know, including me. She says some things about me, but I don't care what she says about me, frankly, because she's Joy Reid. It's like, who cares? Um, um, Rachel Maddow, though, I do have a little bit of Rachel. I'll tell you, Rachel Maddow. Huh. Well, she's not, as you said, she's not on there much anymore. And I th- I don't know without Rachel Maddow how much longer that network's going to be able to stand up. Because she was the one that was bringing in the ratings. Everybody else over there. And Joy Reid's ratings are tanking. I mean, she's losing so much audience over there. It'd be, I don't know how they justify keeping her on. Well, you know, look. It's ratings. I don't like to talk about ratings and other performers. All I'll just say is she's tanking audience, and that's probably karma. (laughs) Anyway, Don, thank you so much for waiting, my friend. I'll give you the last word. Anything else you want to add to it? Well, if MSNBC would put a running uh, count of the, uh, like they did with COVID, about the COVID deaths, deaths, if they put a running count of those crossing the uh, border illegally, maybe that would attract more attention. Well, you got a point, but that they wouldn't be able to keep up with it because already under Joe Biden, we have had almost one million illegal immigrants cross the southern border. And, of course, there is a well-organized campaign to make sure that they're spread around the country, including flights into New York late at night when everyone's sleeping at Westchester Airport and from their bus rides to who knows where. This is all an organized effort. And, again, if you listen to our, my podcast, Both Nerdies on the Border, we go into detail about this immigration problem with things that you may not know. For instance, the role of the United Nations. The, the United Nations is playing a monetary role in helping fund illegal immigration into the United States. Why it is tolerated why Republicans are not over, all over this, I do not know. Our asylum system is a joke. It is a scam. And everybody knows it. And again, this is an area where people don't want to actually do anything about the scam that they know is operating. Great call. Let us go to Karen in Rockland County. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for calling. I love you telling the truth there. Uh, I was a teacher in Patterson for 40 years, and I, I know what you're talking about. I had a little girl. I saw her first name was Maribel. She was such a lovely girl, very smart. You know, a nice kid, wanted to learn. And the other kids in the class would, like, you know, bully her and make fun of her. And I said, why are you making fun of her? Because she wants to learn something and make something of herself. So I told the parents... Uh, when they says, take your kid out of this school because she's a nice girl. She'll go far if she's not in this school district. And they listened to me. The next year, she wasn't in that building anymore. I don't know where they took her, but I'm glad they took her out of there. You know, you're, you're, you're holding her back by keeping her in this school. And I did a lot with the veterans in school. And uh, you know, I used to, all the grade levels from kindergarten up to eighth. I would bring it up to the uh, 
VA hospital up in Montrose, New York, and I would display their all their things outside the auditorium wall, and there were some figures on the wall. And one year we had a new principal, and she said, who's putting all those pictures up on the wall outside the auditorium covering, covering up those figures? And I said, it's, you know, what the kids are doing for the veterans. So um, I said, I can't cover up the figures. So I was very careful about, you know, going around the heads and not covering up the hands and the feet. And one day I spoke to my principal. We were walking outside at dismissal time. I said, did, did take a look at some of the work that the kids are doing in school? She said, I noticed that you covered up some of the... Uh, the figures again. I said, that's all you could see out of that whole wall that I had covered up some of the figures. Not, you know, not what was in what the kids were doing from kindergarten up to eighth grade. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the bullshit of the education system. Yeah. They don't care. And this is what you get, by the way, in public schools and these teachers unions. By the way, the teachers unions who sat out the pandemic and didn't want to come back to school no matter what. They don't care about these kids. They don't care what happens to these kids. It's a job. It's a paycheck. And they get more and more and more. Princess Di talked about the other day about one of the things that could change this system the most is if we adopt policies where the money follows the student, where instead of following the administration, instead of following these schools that are underperforming, and that's the basis of how they get their money, if money is allocated per student and wherever the student chooses to go to school, that's where the the, tr- the students' parents, that's where the money gets spent. That's one of the things that could change education almost immediately in this country. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's, to me, a good plan, Karen. What do you think? I started in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, I was taught for 40 years. And, you know, in the beginning, you were your own boys in your own classroom. You you were able to teach what you wanted as long as it was part of the curriculum guide. And then, you know, starting in the 90s when I started getting fed up with teaching, you know, I mean, they were dictating everything that you should do in the classroom. And I I, got news, I couldn't teach now because what they want to profess in school, I could never deal with it. Yep. I'm glad I'm not a teacher anymore. Wow. <laughs> Karen, thank you for the call. Appreciate that. Let's go to Helen in Fairfield, Connecticut. Helen, WABC Talk Radio 771 with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdy. How are you? I am fine, and I hear you are doing quite well. Very interesting show, as always, and I love the music. So I think that there is a, a key that uh, no one has brought up so far with regard to the problem that we have in education in our country, um, although you did allude to it with uh, Tiger Mom. Uh, one of the keys is parent involvement. Um, unless you have good parenting, you are not going to have students who are willing, ready, and um, wanting to be in school to learn. That is a factor that we must, must address. And there are different ways of doing it. Um, I would imagine that one way, um, you just mentioned tying uh, where the money goes um, with the student. How about tying where the money is coming from to some of the parents who are receiving welfare. Most of the welfare in this country doesn't go to black parents, it goes to white parents. Um, So we can't make it into, in quotes, a racial situation. And I think parents need to be made accountable and maybe take some courses in parenting. So when you enroll your child in a public school, you have to also 
have some sort of responsibility, maybe linked to what you receive from government. Um, I don't know exactly how it would work. It could be voluntary, but parent involvement is absolutely critical. And without it, I don't care what you're going to do, but unless the home environment is improved, you are going to have a much more difficult time. Uh, years ago, I wrote a grant for the New York Public School System. It was called CATS, Communication Arts Technologically Supported. It was after school. And where the students would come uh, to these computer rooms and that would lie fallow after school where uh, millions of dollars had been spent in all this technology and just lay fallow after school. I came up with the idea and it was um, 89, um, 1989, 1990, so it was a long time ago. But if you wanted to participate in this program of learning how to read and write um, and do uh, language arts and all kinds of theater games and so forth together, the parent or grandparent had to be part of the program and enroll together with the student after school. And it was a highly successful program. New York State came in uh, to take a look at it. My superintendent um, in the district that I was working in, which was District 30 in Queens, um, they were all behind it because, of course, you know how that works. You always start taking credit for the, in quotes, good idea. Oh, it was my idea. But I really didn't care whose idea it was. The idea was to get parent involvement. And it really, really started working. But it's always as good as the leadership that's involved in creating it. So that's my thought. And well, Helen, I think this is an amazing thought. And the fact that you've done this, that you've done this and you saw the result is pretty astounding. Now you just triggered something with me. I don't have time to do it right now because we got to go to a break. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to talk about parent involvement because there was a story that Rush used to talk about that highlights the difference. And then my own experience, I'm going to add to that story, my own experience in New York. So thank you for the great call and the great suggestions. And I hope that somebody that's listening to this can adapt what you did, and make it alive again. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on the air. 77 WABC. Things can only get better, right? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. We are in the middle of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We've got another hour and a half to go. If you... want to join us, 800-848-WABC is the number. Got a busy signal, don't worry about it, just call back. 800-848-9222. This 80s music is badass. It's, you got it, Diego. This, right? Okay, do we have this in the library? If not, I'm going to be really annoyed. Breakout. Uh-huh. Oh, we have a guest, and so... Do we? Okay, mix it. 
Come on, you can do this. Yeah, that's the one. One of my favorite eighties, right? Swing out, sister. Break out. Explanations make no sense. Ha ha. Yeah. baby break out wabc talk radio 77 okay one of my dear friends is on the line and thank you for waiting uh film you know you guys have done amazing work over the years phil McAllister and my my dear friend and michael henny have done so much to bring the case of america's number one serial killer to public awareness and it's just amazing the lack of response that this generates from the left. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing very well. Um, you know, well, I, I would argue a little bit different, uh, James. Uh, we're getting I'm getting a lot of response from the left on on this story, and it's all negative, and it's all trying to shut me down because they really want to cancel any news about about this serial killer. Okay, now <clears throat> let us tell people what we're talking about. J.J. Abrams, Mister Star Wars who was behind some of the crappiest muse, uh, 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 renditions of Star Wars. He, they, yeah, J.J. Abrams was supposed to make Star Wars like the thing. He crapped, he crapped the story out. Okay, but anyway, his theater, his production company now has a play that an abortion comedy play. Yep. How can abortion be a subject of comedy? I don't quite know. But... Hollywood filmmaker J.J. Abrams' theatrical company has a play running on Broadway, off-Broadway, that deals with abortion from a comedic sense, correct? That's right, a one-woman show. I went the other night. It's, uh, it's, it's funny, for an abortion comedy, there's very little comedy, and there's very little talk about abortion. Uh, it's, uh, it's the usual uh, half-truth and, and cover-up. Okay. And so you were going to do your play. You have a play. Tell everybody about your play. Well, I covered as a journalist the Gosnell, Kermit Gosnell trial in Philadelphia. Now, your listeners probably know of Kermit Gosnell. They don't. He is America's biggest serial killer. He was an abortion doctor working in Philadelphia. He's now serving three life sentences in prison. He used to kill babies born alive. He killed patients. He abused patients. He's a monster, uh, and uh, but he's a serial killer. He's thought he killed hundreds, perhaps thousands, over 40 years. Uh, and I have the trial transcripts. I have the grand jury report. And I thought I'd do what's called a verbatim play, reenact the trial. You know, it's a real courtroom drama using only 
the words from the trial transcripts. It's very dramatic. It was supposed to be on in Theatre Row uh, on, at the same time as J.J. Abrams' uh, abortion comedy, you know. And uh, Theatre Row, you know, the, the New York theatre scene, just suddenly when they realised what was going on, they just cancelled the contract a week before we were supposed to go on stage and uh, basically stopped us opening the show this weekend. Now, we're going to open next Thursday uh, uh like at the same day as J.J. Abrams, he's had his previews. We were supposed to have previews. We can't have the previews. But our official opening is Thursday, May the 5th uh, in the Chain Theatre in Manhattan. Their opening is, is May the 5th uh, in Cherry Lane Theatre. I want people to go and see both plays and come out and realize what the truth is. Now, where's the play opening now? Next week, where's it opening? Um, it's at the Chain Theatre in Manhattan. You can you can get more details at gosnellplay.com. That's G-O-S-N-E-L-L-P-L-A-Y.com, gosnellplay.com. I mean, it's a great, great story. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a true courtroom drama. Gosnell was only caught because, in addition to being a mass murderer, he was uh, the biggest opioid dealer in Philadelphia at the time, selling hundreds of fake prescriptions every night making millions in the process. So it's a real cops and robbers story. Uh, but at the heart of it too is, 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 a, is a discussion of a very, very pertinent topic at the moment. And believe me, the only reason J.J. Abrams and Alana Glazer, the other Hollywood celebrity, are doing this show right now is because they want to influence the Supreme Court as it comes up to Roe versus Wade. Uh, re-examination. That's why they're doing it. They want to put their finger on the scale and, and try and pressurize the justices and pressurize public opinion. And they're t- entitled to do that. But Theatre Row, who were supposed to have the, who were supposed to have our show, who entered a contract, who accepted money, and then when when they realized the political aspect of our show, even though it's the truth, uh, ran scared. And, and and you know these these actor types. They're always giving themselves awards for bravery. There's nothing brave about them. Uh, they, they run away at the first sign of, con- of controversy or the first sign of something that their friends mightn't like. All right, now let me just <clears throat> go into a little bit more detail on Kermit Gosnell for people. If you want to understand the word genocide, perhaps this is a good way to describe what he did. This was, by the way, in Philadelphia, most of the victims were black, correct? Correct, yep, correct. Okay, so he would take out black live babies out of the womb. I'm sorry, I realize this is breakfast hour. I realize we're in the morning here, and I'm, and I'm, but folks, this actually happened. He would, he would not only murder and that's what it was, live babies. He would also do other horrible things that I don't even want to mention because of the hour of yes. the day yes. to yes. these in, to these human beings. Yes. These two people that tell the story, that followed the trial, that wrote the book, you and I first met you, you and I asked Anne, why is it that a white woman from Ireland and and you, my friend, from, have to tell the story of what's happening in America because no one in America will tell this story. Why is that? It's, it's very weird, isn't it? You know, here's some guy from Ireland 
telling you, and I call him America's serial killer because he was kind of, he's a serial killer that was kind of created by America. Um, and, you know, the thing is, people knew this was happening. The regulators in Philadelphia knew this was happening. But because he was an abortion doctor, they didn't look too carefully. And by the way, because his victims were black, they didn't look too carefully either. Because, you know, there they, they wasn't as much... Um, Gosnell knew this, by the way. Gosnell treated... Gosnell had rooms for... Nice rooms for white women and, and terrible rooms for black women. He knew that the regulators would listen to a white woman complaining, but not a black woman. So, I mean, it's 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 an all-American story in many ways, right? Uh, and, 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 yeah, I, I suppose America... I don't know, there's, there's people... People seem very reluctant to, to tackle the abortion issue. Um, now, I mean, this is this is a courtroom drama. There's nothing too gory in the play, but people are reluctant to tackle this. Uh, it's, it's even Republicans are reluctant to tackle this. It's uh, so that's I mean, when I hear reluctance to tackle something, my Northern Irish uh, 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 attitude says, "Let's put on a show," um, because you know, uh, people from Northern Ireland are not known for for running away from conflict. In fact, we often create it. <laughs> you found a way to make me laugh, and I didn't think that was possible with this. Flynn, the work that you do is is just amazing, and the work that you have done to make, you and Anne have done to bring this to light in America is simply amazing. And the obstacles that you face every step of the way as you try to inform Americans about this, this horrific part of our history is just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to end. Every time there's something like this, the left can just seem to shut down discussion on it. But you, my friend, are this is the courage. You keep coming back at them. So people want to know more. So where can people, again, find information on the play? Gosnellplay.com. That's G-O-S-N-E-L-L. P-L-A-Y.com. Gosnellplay.com. It's opening up Thursday night for two weekends. we're going to have a premiere on Thursday night. Oh, and the detective who helped put him in prison is going to do a Q&A afterwards, Detective Jim Wood from Philadelphia. It's going to be a great night. I mean, you know, they've been trying to shut this story down since the very start, but we were, we made a movie about it, so it starting Dean Cain. The Kickstarter wouldn't let us crowdfund on their platform because they said the truth offended their community standards. This is the kind of censorship that they want. So let's show them. Let's show them at the cover-up stops now. And please go to gosnellplay.com. Thank you so much, Philip. We appreciate you and all the courageous work you and Andrew. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, James. All right, WABC Talk Radio 77 coming right back. Oh knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Ah, yes, Christopher Cross. This album won four Grammys. This was his debut album. This, of course, Ride Like the Wind. On WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Okay, background vocals. A familiar voice. Let's see if you catch it. If we can get that far in the song. Princess Die coming up in the next hour. Keep it here. Who's that? 
Michael McDonald in the background. Let's head back to the telephones, ladies and gentlemen. Bill from Bradley Beach. Welcome. Thanks for waiting. You're on with James Golden. Doing yep. a great job. Thank you. James? Yep. Right here. Okay. Uh, first off, I was looking about Joy Reid. Every time I hear Joy Reid, I think of Joy Behar. And then I just think of what it is. They just bring the joy out of the world, you know? They, <laughs> joy they, out of the world. Okay. They use their, their their name must take off all their joy in their life. But anyway, I called about um, vocational schools because I, I went to a vocational school when I was a kid. I was going to uh, either, um, like, do half days because I, I was working and stuff. I didn't really like school. But I took auto mechanics. And auto mechanics, I, uh, Mr. Burge, I still remember him. 40 years later, I still remember the guy, great guy. And he had a, l- a lot of misfits. But he, he taught, taught us a lot of stuff. He had a lot of patience with us. And I think most of us that went there did pretty good. So I, I'm into, like, the plumbing field and stuff like that. So I'm not making Hunter Biden money or anything, but I'm doing okay. But um, mm-hmm. the, I, I, I think your show, because you take – I don't want to – you know, you, I started listening to Rush year, a couple years ago, a few years ago. And he used to always think that I, I couldn't even stand putting a radio on when, some, when he was on. And then I just started listening to him. And I found out who's really the liars, you know. And when I enjoy about your show, you tell the truth. And if somebody comes on and isn't really doesn't have the full facts, you'll correct them. And you'll and if you if you make a mistake, you'll correct yourself the next day or something like that. If you find out more information about stuff, and, Thank and you. that's what that's what you want. You just want the honest. You want you want honest information. That's all people. Uh, most people want. Some people don't care. They just want, uh, as long as it works for their side. If I side, you know, it shouldn't even be side because we should be all, you know, wanting the same thing. Everybody to prosper. And the thing with, um, uh, I know. Thank you for letting me go on. But the uh, thing with uh, like sports, when you have this one and done, it bothers me. One and done guys in basketball because they only go on one semester and they're actually taking that scholarship from a kid that isn't going to play in the NBA that could get a four-year scholarship, and who knows what, what, what he could become. So the, the NBA is, and the uh, colleges are using, using a, um, like a, the minor league team in college, college, you know, and they shouldn't be allowed to use that. The kids should have to go three. Now, maybe after three years you decide, you want to, you know, but the scholarships should be used for learning, not, not just, not just uh, for basketball or football or stuff like that. Thank you. You know, Bill, thank you. That's really an interesting idea. You know who you remind me of, Bill? You remind me of my partner, Joel, that I did the show with for so many years, James and Joel. You guys sound alike. So it's just a pleasure listening to you. I hope you call back, Bill. Thank you. Great call. Appreciate that. Let's go to Raphael in Rockland County, New York. How are you, Raphael? 
Uh, yes. Uh, good morning, Mr. Golden. First time caller. Uh, I started listening to your show like two months ago, and I fell in love with it. Thank um, you. Yeah. Um, where do I start? Uh, school. Uh, I came from the Dominican Republic back in 1973. And, you know, I remember if I didn't behave in school, they used to stand me in the corner, you know? Mm-hmm. And now they will call that, or even they used to pull me by the ear, which I, I didn't care. Now it makes me the man that I am today, and the father and the grandfather. Because, you know, now everything is called abuse, abuse, abuse. And my daughter, my daughter and her husband, they teachers. Um, I lived in the Bronx before. I just moved to New City, New York, three months ago. I, I lived almost in the Bronx for almost 40 years. But thank God that I got out of there because the way things are going, my daughter bought a house and we moved in with her. But anyway, not to take too much time, um, my daughter is a teacher, her husband is a teacher. And when my daughter started, uh, teaching, she's a tenure, you know, she told me that I, I, you know, sometimes I cry when I get home because I wanted to do so much for this kid, but I can, you know, there's only so much I could do because some of these parents, they drop the kids off in the morning, they wear in pajamas. And then she goes, when they go pick them up, they still wear in pajamas, which means they're not even working or whatever, for whatever reason. And she said this kid is like their parents just dropped them off in school like like it's a daycare. Like they don't uh, care what happens to their kids. Exactly. And it's like one, one thing that you brought up before about parents being involved. Yeah. I've been involved through throughout my life with my children. I was the first college person in my family. At least I have an associate degree. Then my sister got a bachelor. And then my kids, they're all doing well, thank God. And... See, everything starts in the house, in the home. The teacher are there to, to prepare your brain, to open up your mind, to learn. Because our children, you know, their brain like a sponge. Raphael, like, you are the American dream. Do you know that? You are the American dream. You are what we need so badly more of in this country. You understand the values. You understand the opportunities. And you understand family and the connection between all of that. We're so proud of you and your family, Raphael. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to leave it there because I want to just, you mentioned this again, and I said I was going to do it, and then it escaped me. I want to tell a story that Rush used to talk about. Thank you again, Raphael. Um, I'll have to get the time frame. I'm going to have to go back and, and do some research and get the time frame on this because this, to me, I will never forget this story. And, and Rush brought it to our, my, our attention as a nation. There was a parent conference, a citywide parent-teacher conference in Washington, D.C. Things had gotten so bad, and I believe this was in the 90s, that the school, the, the, the administrators of the school system said they wanted to hold a citywide parent-teacher meeting. And so they had this huge venue set aside, and they even had the event catered, understanding that parents in some cases would be coming home from work 
and they wanted to get as many parents in attendance as they can so they could discuss the state of the schools and their children in Washington, D.C. When the night came, and this was publicized, they ran advertisements for it. It was all over radio, all over TV, or whatever it was with the ads. And they let people know this was happening. Citywide, when the night of the event took place, there were more members of the media in attendance than there were parents. Parents did not even show up at all. Now, at the same time Rush was telling this story, to illustrate the lack of parental interest in their own children in Washington, D.C., which, by the way, at the time, had one of the highest crime rates, as it still does, in America. At the same time this was happening, I happened to be visiting a friend in in very close proximity to this story in Mount Kisco, New York. And I would drive up. When you got near Mount Kisco, all of a sudden, and this was at night, six, seven at night, whatever it was, in a tremendous traffic jam, the cops are everywhere trying to direct traffic. You know why? It was open school night. It was open school night, and as a result, it was one of the busiest traffic nights of the year in Mount Kisco because these parents were in every parent almost in that entire community came out to meet with the teachers of their children. So I contrasted the two, and that is the story that we're still facing today. A citywide PTA meeting in Washington, D.C., mostly black kids, and let's just be honest, they used to call it Chocolate City Black back then. Boy, the lady at the New York Times is going to really get mad at me. She's probably going to tell me I'm doing another trope or something like that. But this really happened, and no one shows up. And you go to Mount Kisco, and you can't even get into town for all the parents on their way to the schools to see about their kids. That says it all. That says it all. And unless we turn that around and get parents involved in their children's lives, when it comes to education, you listen to the callers here, they're telling you nothing will change. James Golden with you here, WABC Talk Radio 77. We are approaching the end of our second hour. It just goes by so quickly. But when we get back, the one, the only, Princess Di will join me. And we still have so many of your phone calls. We're going to do that and more news. So, don't go away. Keep it right here on 77 WABC. Remember, Larry Kudlow comes up right after this. We will be right back. It's 
on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And here we are so quickly, hour number three, uh, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You know what? Let's play some sound. This week was an amazing week. If you <laughs> here's one for Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was being accosted outside of the Capitol building by no other than Jim Acosta, accosted by Acosta, and she did not succumb to Acosta's accusations. Listen to this. Did you send a text asking for the president to declare martial law? You know, I don't recall those being my text messages. Why don't you be honest? Why even bring it no, up? Why, don't why you even be bring up martial law? No, you know, you're just another one of those liars on television. And people hate it. They can't stand the liars on television. I'm not the one saying no, I don't no, recall, I don't the, recall, I don't recall. Quote the supposed text message. In our private chat with only members, several are saying the only way to save our republic is for Trump to call for martial law. Marshall was don't not spelled. Keep going I with don't, the text message. I don't know on those things. Wait, I just wanted me, you stop. to tell him. I don't know on those things. Still, is that what that says? It says, I don't know on but, those things. Why don't you tell you, that story? You're no, saying, no, 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 you're no. saying you don't no, know you're that you're lying. Text, but you're, you're being you're a liar. defensive about you're it. You're why people do not like why you. Why are you being so defensive about it? Because you're a liar. Why do you want to lie on television? Yeah, this goes on, by the way, for another three minutes. Keep it up. Let's listen to more. I like this. And then when you read the actual words, it tells another story. It tells the truth. Now, see, that's what happened, right? The message that she was saying says people are talking about blah, 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 martial law. I don't know about those things. I don't know about those things. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not advocating for that. I don't know about those things. Now, you got to realize that MTG is a popular whipping girl for the left. They can't stand her. She's and, and, and you know. And look, I understand that some of the things that she has done cause ire among people. So I get that. Uh, but she's not having it with Acosta. We have another one. This one, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is about Carl Rove. Let's listen to that. I want to tell you about Carl Rove. Carl Rove's wing of the party is the failure part of our party. They're very much the operating component that led us into never-ending foreign wars. Their wing of the party it led us to this massive debt the American people are in. And nobody cares what Carl Rove has to say. Everyone cares about what you have to say. People care about what I have to say. People care about our wing of the party. So Carl Rove can go kiss my ass, and he's dead wrong. He's disconnected, and shame on Fox News for constantly having him on there. Yeah, Carl had said something about um, her. By the way, just so FYI, Carl Rove, I consider to be a friend, just so you know. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people who say, how dare you? We don't like Carl Rove. I I don't abandon my friends. Now, there was a soundbite. We're going to continue. Move away from politics for a moment. You know, Carol Burnett's birthday was this week. Carol Burnett to me, is one of the most amazing. I think there were two comedians, female, maybe three or four that are just, the first to me will always be Lucille Ball. 
Lucille Ball was, was just amazing and, and an amazing businesswoman. I noted during the week, the day that Carol Burnett's birthday was, that there was an intersection because Lu, Lucille Ball died on the same day Carol Burnett was born, the date. Not the same year, the date, the birth date and the death date. That's an intersection enough. Two, two of America's greatest comedians ever. And Carol Burnett, I, I just, she was just wholesome, fun, funny. Well, she did an interview with Dick Cavett. And this is not, uh, this is not a joking interview. She's talking about the way that actresses are treated. And I just found it interesting and just, you know, this may not be not for nothing of any interest to almost anybody, but I just loved hearing Carol Burnett's voice. And I so rarely got a chance to hear Carol Burnett being interviewed. I just thought it was worthwhile to just remember this with Dick Cavett. But there are a couple really dreadful people in our business. Uh, and um, I wonder, if, is there anyone you won't work with? You don't need to name No, names. I'm no, not I here. Pry. Sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, but... Uh, I just wondered if there are, without forcing you to give us any hints or anything, is there a performer or a sort of performer that you just feel so... You ain't going to get me into specifics about yeah. mentioning no, I don't, any I don't want to. particular person, but there are types I will not work with. If I find out that someone is that, that way, yeah. uh, I won't work with them. Uh, someone who is totally unprofessional, by that I mean temperamental, who runs in slamming the door screaming, who is late, who has no uh, feeling... For the other performers, mm-hmm. um, I guess you would call it un- totally unprofessional, who uh, yeah. feels that what they're doing is the most important thing in the world, and all it is is show business, and it's a, it's a hoot to be in show business. Mm-hmm. And too many people take it seriously. I used yeah. to, and it's, uh, it's not worth it. It is fun, and it is let's pretend. And sometimes we lose um, the feeling of that, and we don't make it as much fun as it is. It is all just fake and phony. We, we start pretending when we're kids, mm-hmm. playing dolls, going out and, and pretend, hey, let's pretend I'm so-and-so and you're this and, and acting out movies. It's, uh, it's child's play. Yeah. And uh, I guess because all the big uh, mucky mucks in the suits have all the money, mm-hmm. then it becomes very serious. But uh, as a performer, I think we should just plunge in and have fun and experiment. Wow. Amazing, right? We have one last quote from uh, Carol Burnett with that interview with Dick Cavett. Here it is. Have you ever been in a situation where a, a huge star was so rotten to underlings around them yes. that you wished you could do something but yes. couldn't? Yes, I was one of the underlings, so I couldn't do anything at that time. Yeah. Had I had more uh, guts at the time, I would have walked off and gone back on unemployment. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us the nature of it? Just uh, being very rude to the extras on the set and yelling at them and making them feel uh, yay tall. Yeah. And there's no excuse for that. You know, (laughs) I just wanted to hear Carol Burnett. She's an amazing woman. Uh, When we come back, we're going to break a little bit early. When we come back, we're going to join... Princess Di, I've been saving a topic, and we've been saving a topic, too. I, I just wanted to discuss it with her before I brought it up, and uh, we'll do that as soon as we come back. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, back right after this. Oh, no's politics. 
and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Do you what? I mean, when we're here, what? I don't know. Yeah, why not? I guess we're going to get down. We're going to get down. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. How do we do it? Cool and the gang bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. How you gonna do it if you really don't wanna dance by standing on the wall? Get your back up off the wall. Tell me, how you gonna do it if you really don't wanna dance by standing on the wall? Get your back up off the wall. I heard all the people saying, get down on it, come on in. Cool in the gang. Uh, speaking of cool, it's time to talk with Her Highness, Her Majesty, the coolest woman on the planet Earth. Princess Diana joins us. Welcome, my dear Princess Diana. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you, James? I'm getting down on it. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm getting down on it with my bad self. How you gonna do it if you really don't wanna dance by standing on the wall? Yeah, okay, well, Diana, Princess Diana. Yes, yes. Uh, we have a problem. Okay. The Department of Homeland Security apparently wants to begin the Ministry of Disinformation. And Jinsaki, Jinsaki doesn't understand. She says, well, what's the problem here? Why would anybody oppose us, the Biden administration, starting a ministry of truth, a ministry of disinformation? Uh, um, <clears throat> do we need in America the ministry of truth, Diana, Princess Diana? Well, this was an interesting little nugget that our friend, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alessandro Alejandro Mayorkas, dropped on Wednesday. He just casually said, oh, yes, we've started this disinformation governance board, which is designed to counter disinformation, which, of course, they're really worried about that people have the wrong ideas out there in America and are actually saying them out loud. And we can't have that because we only are allowed to talk about the approved narrative. So they have formulated this governance board and they have appointed a Zarina, Zarina Nina, Jankowitz is her name. I am going to forever call her Zarina Nina. And she is someone with a long history of academic and think tank work countering uh, disinformation, as the left calls it, which is basically things that conservatives think and say is considered disinformation by the left. And they cannot stand it. Now, you remember, this goes all the way back to Rush Limbaugh when Clinton, Bill Clinton, the president of the time, 
was complaining there was no truth detector on anything that Rush said because, you know, they really were upset at the effectiveness of Rush Limbaugh being able to counter the narrative of the Clinton administration. So, of course, then Rush stole the line and said, I am the truth detector. And he really defanged that accusation. But the left has ever since wanted to shut down dissent. And so here they are doing it again. And it's probably uh, not going to succeed this particular route because all the Republicans and, and actually free speech people have come out against it immediately. And it's so rare to have elected Republicans actually fight something rhetorically. And they are really all out there basically pushing back on this ridiculous anti-American notion that the government, especially the Biden government, can control what is official speech allowed. Now, interestingly enough, Mm -hmm. I have to tell you a quote, and I will be quiet, that Jankowitz said that basically disinformation is an American pathology and Joe Biden is the doctor who can cure it. Good Lord, Agnes. That's what Serena Nina thinks. Well, Serena Nina also calls herself the Mary Poppins of something or another, misinformation, I guess. And we have, of course, if you haven't seen it, we'll let you hear it. This is our new arena of misinformation. And in the Joe Biden minute, here she is. Wondering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared that intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo, and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh, information laundering is really quite ferocious. This is the when woman. to take some lies and make them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or mainstream outlets. So this information's origin seems slightly less atrocious. <laughs> This woman, (laughs) that woman is supposed to be (laughs) is supposed to be leading a government agency. The video is even worse because then you see her her facial expressions. Oh, my goodness. She's got so many TikTok videos of herself in this kind of show tunes performance kind of mode. She really, I think, wanted to go into theater. And so she found the next best thing, which is the Biden administration. And she can perform. And this is her first love is just shutting other people up. So we'll see who wins this one. I think that this particular effort, as I say, is going nowhere, although that is their plan. But Diana, I don't quietly do something similar only without her. I don't. The fact that it's already started doesn't say to me that this is not going anywhere. Now, this to me is particularly disturbing because it's coming from Homeland Security. Yeah, they enforce their rules. They that is a police enforcement agency. Let's talk about Homeland Security. Homeland Security in charge of TSA. Homeland Security are they not? Are also supposed to be dealing with our national 
security at the borders, correct? Right, right. Okay, let's talk about disinformation for a moment. And let's talk about this asylum process in the United States. Up to 6,400,000 immigrants are expected to try to enter the United States this year if Title 42, the Trump era Title 42 law is rescinded as the Biden administration wants to do. Most of them will come in on asylum claims. This is what Todd Benzman at the Center for Immigration Studies has found out through his reporting in Central America and in Mexico. The majority of Mexicans, Central Americans, and people from other nations who are pouring in to Mexico in hopes of then crashing the border to the United States have to explain in Mexico why they should be granted asylum. Most of them say they're coming to the United States for economic reasons. They want to make money. They want to have a better life. They are turned down because that is not permissible under asylum laws in Mexico as a reason. It is that point that the United Nations and an order of Jesuits send these people, these immigrants, to centers. At these centers, they are coached into, quote-unquote, remembering traumas of their past that would then allow them to come in as immigrants fleeing from asylum. So they go through this sort of, I don't know, mystery program, and this is funded by the United Nations and funded by an order of Jesuits, where they then find out, oh, lo and behold, they had some trauma to their lives. And, oh, they were beaten, or they were raped, or they were scarred, or whatever. And then they reapply for asylum, and then most of them, over 90%, are granted asylum status in Mexico, which then brings them up to our border so that they can take part in the surge. This is all being done with the knowledge of Homeland Security, the very people who now tell us they want to stop different disinformation. Yes. Well, interestingly enough, Politico had an editorial uh, that you sent me where basically they laughed at this notion of DHS policing speech because the entire agency is so inept and they're basically a confederacy of dunces and don't worry they they fail at everything and they really aren't going to be able to police speech however that editorial presupposes that what DHS is doing is not the plan and they are being very effective at what they want to do under the Biden administration, which is exactly what you just described, which is to have an open border. So the political dismissing of this effort as 
comical and it's not going anywhere, I think is incorrect. And what I meant by this is not going forward, I think they're doing it. I think they're just going to change the face of it. And this woman will be let go and they will still continue to do this because this is in their DNA on the left is to quelling dissent always and forever, wherever you have leftists, they want to shut up people who say things and think things uh, out of their control. So I do think that this is going to go forward, but not under her. Okay, now this, Diana, I'm, <clears throat> I'll just leave off with this. There's some other things I want to discuss with you. We'll do some next week, like Joe Manchin. That story will still be there next week. Democrats are still stuck in the Manchin mode, wondering if will he, will he yes or will he no, will he, will he be my baby? Um, yeah, I mean, will, is you is or is you ain't my baby, Joe? Are we going to get this big bill? You know, that was one of my favorite Tom and Jerry cartoons. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? So that's what they want to know from Joe Manchin. Um, so we'll do that next week. But I want to talk to you about this because this, this thing with disinformation really disturbs me. Okay, we've got the Hunter Biden lies. Okay, so now all of a sudden Twitter might be in the hands of Elon Musk. And then the next few days we learn, oh, there's going to be some disinformation agency, the Ministry of Truth, all of a sudden. Well, by the way, as soon as Twitter, the sale was announced, all of a sudden the number of followers jumped right up for conservatives, not just me, all across the board. I mean, Donald Trump Jr., I think, had over 87,000 Laura Ingram said she had been stuck on 2.9 million, and all of a sudden her followers went up to 4 million overnight. And you had um, uh, uh, all these people like Congressman um, Jim Jeff, all of them, their numbers went, Jim Jordan, his numbers spiraled up. So apparently uh, Twitter says, oh, this is just organic. It's just organic. And, Repu- and Democrat numbers went down. Right. We're supposed to believe that. We're supposed to believe, Diana, that Princess Di, we're supposed to believe that everything the government has told us about COVID has been accurate. We're supposed to believe that everything that Democrats tell us about elections is supposed to be accurate. And by the way, we're not ever supposed to talk about elections because everything we say are lies. Okay, we're supposed to believe that everything Democrats tell us about education is accurate. Like with Florida, we're supposed to believe that somewhere in that bill it says don't say gay, even though it's not even in the bill. We're supposed to believe that the left in this country want everybody to succeed equally. When in fact, we see this week Joe Biden saying to charter schools, I want to put you out of business and screw you, and screw all those black and Hispanic kids that go to charter schools because they're trying to escape our failing public schools. Screw all of you. So, Well, let me just jump in here with their motivation for this particular thing, in my opinion, the political motivation, because Mayorkas said uh, in this hearing, the goal is to bring the resources of DHS together to address online disinformation threat focused on the spread of disinformation in minority communities ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. If you look at Hispanic approval of Democrats and Biden specifically, it is in the basement. They, it is 30 
8% approval among Hispanics. So they are terrified on the Democrat side for this upcoming midterm election because people are saying negative things about the Democrat Party online and to each other and on Facebook in the Hispanic community. And this is what has them just feeling that they've got to put a stop to it. So the motivation, in my opinion, is the Hispanic disapproval numbers, because that is the focus, according to Mayorkas, is to make sure there's no disinformation in minority communities ahead. He specifically said ahead of the midterms. Okay. So this is a political reason. But, yes, this is what the left wants to do always, was, is to shut up this dissent. They're not going to succeed. This is America. And we, as a response, need to exercise our First Amendment rights every chance we get and to say all of the incorrect things all the time. Thank you. <clears throat> President Dye is always such an amazing pleasure. Thank you, because you actually calmed me down a little bit. I This stuff, I'm telling you, every week, to me, I just get more and more infuriated with these people and their rampant lies every single week. You know, this goes back to, Rush used to say this all the time, nothing's true anymore. They have yeah. they have so polluted everything from from the basic truths that existed for humanity since time began. Like there are two genders, male and female. Right. He created them. And now yeah. that is a supposedly a lie. And it goes from there into everything else. Everything that we once believed is held into question by these people. And that we yeah, know to be I facts. Think this is so important because their idea of non-binary goes not only to male and female, but to right and wrong, to citizen and non-citizen. They want to erase all... Uh, logical and rhetorical distinctions between the truth and a lie so that everything is this gray zone where you can't really ever say this should happen, but that shouldn't happen. They prevent us from acting based on morality. And so this is what we go back to our national motto in God, we trust. And that is how we fight these people. We don't fight on their turf. We fight on ours. We go reminding each other where we're from Right and wrong, good and evil, in God we trust. Amen. Thank you, Princess Di. Anytime. Love talking to you, James. Love you. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Sterling, coming back. More of your calls right after this. Talk Radio 77, WABC. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on 77 WABC. Happy birthday to you. WABC Talk Radio 77. Talk Radio 77 in New York. Beatles bring us back. W.A. Beatles, see. Let us 
Let's head back to the telephones. Let's go to Minnesota. And Dom, Dom, welcome. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. How are you? Yeah, hi, James. I'm great. You know, a quick feedback on the last caller who was a Tech College graduate. And I am a teacher by trade, been doing that for 33 years. And I wholeheartedly agree with everything that gentleman said about you and your empathy towards your listeners, even the nasty ones. And that's why I love hearing what you have to say, because you are so calm and collected in spite of the rhetoric they throw at you. And I have to say that because I really Thank appreciate Thank you. I so appreciate it. Thank you, yeah. Dom. I, I read about the Citywide Parent Teacher Conference, D.C., in the 90s. I think it was the uh, four-term drug dealer, Marion Barry, was the mayor of that team, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marion. So, you know, yeah. The, the so, good old days. Do you remember the yeah. famous quote from Marion Barry? Yep. The, what, was, what was that? Go ahead. Say it on the air. I can't say. He said, the B.I.H. The, the B.I.H. made me do it. The B.I.H. made me do it. I got it. Right. So Washington, D.C., in my opinion, I think as far as I understand, has no private industry to speak of that can fund schools, motivate people, give them meaningful jobs, stuff like that, except it's full of ticks, as in poly ticks, that suck the blood from the rest of the country in order to exist and give birth to more blood-sucking ticks. That's the way I look at it. And for, I love the city. It's great. I can't afford to live there, but I've been there a couple of times. Washington, D.C. is knee-deep in international politics and couldn't give a hoot about the American citizen. Now we have Nina Jankovic, the disinformation czar, in charge of homeland insecurity. Huh. So, uh, And the way I look at it, D.C. needs a thorough washing and drying and ditching of its ruling class so we can go back to giving work to the next generation of Paul Bunyans and Paul Revere, George Washington. I remember Rush making this point and asking the listeners a profound question before he passed on, maybe a year before that. He was, at, he was saying, do you think we can find a group of people today with a mindset, passion, integrity, and dedication that could recreate this shining city on the hill? And his conclusion was, you already know my answer to that question, but I really want you to reflect on that for the sake of your children and your grandchildren. That was, I it never forgot it. That was a profound point he made. He left it as a question because we all knew the answer to those of us that really think about <laughs> the future of this country. Dom, you are an amazing guy. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your calls. And, uh, and, and hope to hear from you again in the near future. Thank you so much, Dom. WABC Talk Radio 77. Let us go to Bernie in Staten Island. Hello, Bernie. Hello, Doc. I'm Bernie in Staten Island. I want to tell you a story about, uh, 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 about going to school with vocational training. My, uh, my uncle died in, 19, in 1952 when he owned a small store in Brooklyn, air conditioning was just coming in and he knew how to do the air conditioning. His wife, who wasn't the uh, air conditioning expert at all, she was a stay at home with three children, one of whom was my cousin. He was uh, 12, He was uh, 17 years old and I was 17. Uh, she went to school to learn air conditioning at night. She learned air conditioning, and when she had enough knowledge, she came to her son and she said, you're my chief engineer. My cousin then was only 18, just as I was 18. 
And he said after a while, he knew how to do the simple air conditioning jobs. He wasn't any good at academics. He didn't go to school. He learned from her. And when he didn't know how to do a job, he came to his mother and he said, Ma, I don't know how to do this. She went, uh, his mother went to uh, the engineers that she knew from school and she said, she, and one of the engineers, she said, how long will it take you to teach my son how to do this particular job? So the engineer said, well, two or three days. She said, okay, I'll pay you for three or two or three days. Uh, teach my son how to do it. That way he learned. He learned Let me ask you a question, Bernie. Years. What happened with the family business? Did, did it prosper or did it not? When the, when uh, the the, the, uh, the son and the daughter and the mother went to a family business, it, when she died, she died the same week in her nineties. The same week it was nine and eleven. Uh, she went to Florida. She left each of her three sons a million dollars each. She had a family in a uh, a uh, factory. In then in uh, in so uh, Long Island, she turned she, she she turned this business into a multi million dollar business from her going to school, a vocational school, learning a skill, and then bringing her family into it. My friends, there are a lot there there are lots of ways to become educated in America. Let's go to Richard in East Meadow. Thank you, Bernie. Appreciate that story. Richard, East Meadow, how are you? Hey, good morning, James. Thank you for giving me a minute. Yeah, what's up? Uh, okay, this is important. Help me channel this, please, if you can. You and I had a conversation last year about disabling the word misinformation and information by having everything proven by the Congress or the Senate. I don't know if you recall that. But this nonsense that they're up to is very serious, as you know. And if we play it properly, it can be used against them. Hmm. Whatever we're going to talk about, whatever we're going to talk about coming up to election campaign season, everything, whatever it is, there has to be an effort to have people under oath from the New York Times to Twitter about what they've been doing and go over everything that we want to talk about meticulously okay. <clears throat> and carefully. Richard, thank you for the call. Let me just say this to you, my friend, and I appreciate it. You are never going to get in this country reporters from the New York Times or any of these other quote-unquote broadcasts or publishers, and that's what I consider Twitter to be. You're not going to get them under oath to do anything. It's not going to happen. Not without them being charged in some way and hauled into court. It's not going to happen. The thing that we need most of all, is to persuade enough of us about the truth so that we can turn these leftists out of office. That's what we need. We have to defeat them politically, and then we're going to have to keep defeating them politically because like a bad penny, they're going to keep turning up and keep getting into power in small nooks and crannies where they can until they succeed. They do this all the time. We have been fighting liberalism since this country was established. This is not a battle that is going away anytime soon. But we can get the upper hand. Let's go to Frank, Staten Island. How are you, Frank? Thank you for your patience. How are you? 
How are you doing, James? Good morning. Okay, because whenever you talk about like music or, or movies, I want to get in on the conversation. It's a sad day in the comic book world. Neil Adams passed away. For everybody Adams, that doesn't know, please tell us why that's a sad day in the comic book world. Because Neil Adams is one of the great comic book uh, artists and writers of the 20th century. He worked for both Marvel and DC. He pretty much changed. Uh, and, and modernized the Batman character from being a campy character to a more dark and, 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 and malevolent type of thing, uh, a person who solves crimes at nighttime and works in the shadows. Not only that, but Green Lantern and Green Arrow. For, those, for that series, he explored uh, uh, topics like racism and drug abuse that were going on. These things are in the comics at the time. So he, he, yeah, he passed away yesterday at 80 years old. Um, once I read the news, I was like almost crying in a way because I, I am a collector. I met him at conventions. Um, he had a really interesting physical body, like his arms, or he, like he had the arms of a superhero in, in some ways. Um, he's also instrumental in this. He helped the creators of Superman to get get, get back money and a pension. Uh, Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman, they were uh, DC was making so much money off of Superman, and these two creators were getting nothing, not a nickel. And he helped them out with court cases and everything. Creators' rights. Wow, Frank, you're amazing, my friend. You did all of that in such a brief time and gave us a real history of who uh, Neil Adams was. Let me confess, I didn't know. I didn't know. The only names I really know about comic books, of course, Stan Lee, of course, <clears throat> you know, and because I had given up. I'm not like you were collected. Do you go to Comic-Con, by the way? I go to Comic-Con. It, it, it gets too many people, and it's a bit expensive. I like the New York, uh, the Big Apple Con is much better because it's in the hotel. Uh, it, gets, it gets some pretty good guests. That's where I, I would meet Neil Adams and some other uh, actors and artists and people like that. Well, and, wait a uh, minute. When is that? When When is that usually held? The last one just passed, uh, I think, uh, last month. The next one, I think, is in September. Uh, so I, I, we could Google it, uh, New York Apple. Uh, uh, um, no, I'll Apple tell you Con. what you do, Frank. Before the next one, make sure you call us in the Saturday show and make sure you hold one like you did today, and then you could tell people, where it is, and if people want to come, well, that could be risky. I better think about that. Because if people want to connect with you, I was about to say, but then again, ah, that's a liability issue here, so we're not going to say that. But you can tell people where the next Comic-Con, the New York, what do you call it, the New York Con? Is that what it is? New York, the big, New York Big Apple Con. It's usually a, a, at the hotel. That's 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 uh, by uh, by Thirty Fourth Street. Um, that that the old hotel. The, the across the street from Penn Station. Yeah, that one. Yeah, usually it's always there. Okay. All right. Well, you call us back and let us know, man. Frank, you're awesome. Thank you, my friend. Peter, the Bronx. You're up next. How are you, Peter? Hello, Mr. Snurdly. I'm a brand new fan of yours. Can you hear me, sir? I hear you very well. Hi, how are you? So I was a New York City school teacher in Soundview, the Bronx, for 19 years, where Sid grew up, actually. And I wanted to talk about the indoctrination of our children. Okay. Um, 
as toward the end of my career, things began becoming woke. And I saw these teachers using the children as their emotional support system. Um, mm. I, got I got divorced during my career. And when the children found out I was divorced, I found they were very sympathetic, empathetic, et cetera. And I realized, I was like, wow, you could really take advantage of their minds if, if you decided that you wanted to open up to these kids about your personal life. And a child is, is a perfect um, listening tool, as you were, as you, you know, if you can say, for someone that needs sympathy, because they'll, they'll feel bad for anybody. You know, and it's taking advantage of their openness and it's taking advantage of their innocence. And by my teaching uh, gym and having cafeteria duty, those are the two most social social areas of the school. So you hear everything. You hear everything about the children, their families, their lives, the other teachers, the other teachers' lifestyles. Oh, this one's dating a man and he's a man and this one's dating a woman. She's a woman. Things that are just inappropriate in the classroom. That's why there are guidance counselors for these things. Whoa. This call has been an eye-opener. Thank you. Peter, we're coming right back. Don't go away. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77. Elton, Sir Elton John, and Kiki D bring us back. A Tom Bell production. You know, I wonder how many hours of my life I spent listening to Elton John's music. It is, if I total it up, it is a lot. <laughs> Let's go to Louise in New Jersey. Louise, how are you this morning? I am great, and I'm so, so happy I got on with you. I am such a big fan. I listen to you every day on the Rush Hour show, and I love your music, and I want to dance, but I can't in the car. And I just think you're the voice of reason, and your listeners are the best, and I can't say enough. Thank you. And <laughs> say, I um, dance in the car and so can you. We can all dance with each other in the car. But what? <laughs> thank you for such kind words, Louise. So what's the point you want to make? I want to make a quick point. I have so much to say about the topic of education. I'm a substance abuse counselor in Rockland County. I work at a, a 28-day rehab, and I work with um, mostly black um, inner-city uh, males that have been caught in the cycle of crime and drugs and um, incarcerated and out of prison. So just yet, I, as often as I can, I try to encourage them to get an education, technical, whatever. I say, you know, you have to, that's your power, just go for it. And I just encourage them. And I wish everybody in this field, and I think they do, but would do so 
because they are so smart and so wise and they have so much potential. And I'm always amazed by that. And it's really a disservice to them not to give them a quality education and, you know, end this cycle of, you know, that they are going through. The day that that, the, 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 Louise, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for your service to helping people's lives get better. This, you are in the trenches. You are the, you are the one people like you who make this country a better place and thereby make this world a better place. So thank you for that. And the fact that these kids are coming to you, as you say, already in the cycle of crime and they don't have an education proves the point why we need this so desperately. If we are ever able to break this cycle, there will be no question of America's place in the world as a superpower for as long as we want to sustain it. This thing is holding us back because these kids deserve, these young people deserve, I don't care what color they are, every person on this earth deserves to have their potential as a human being fulfilled, if they possibly can. This is a true human rights issue. You know, you talk about all the abuse that kids go to. What bigger abuse is there to the children of this nation than to have some of them growing up without the confidence to believe in their own intellectual prowess, without having the confidence to grow, to feel that they are worthy of having a good life, of growing up without the chance to love their country and their fellow men? What bigger abuse of there is there of children? Let us go to Gatano in Suffolk County. How are you? Golden. Hey. Mr. Golden. Yes. Thank you so much for taking my call. My wife and I, we listen to you every day and thank you so much for the 12 o'clock hour, an extra hour with you. Um, so I can't call in Wednesday because I work from home, but I want to say um, I'm not even sure, but happy May the 4th. Uh-huh, thank you. Uh, may, may the, may the fourth be with you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so um, I love, really enjoyed you talking about, um, the, you, well, you, you know, I'm a big fan like you of the Star Wars, and that's why I didn't get rid of Disney, because it got me really angry that they <laughs> fired that actress, uh, Gina Carano. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 So, but it was dawning on me when you were talking, and now that, and believe it or not, the 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 people in charge of all the shows we like, like the Bobo Fett, Mandalorian, now the Obi Wan is John Favreau and uh, Dave Filoni. I think they they're more entertainment, and they want to bring Star Wars back as what we loved when we were kids. So that's why it's a success because it's bringing it back. They're yeah. not into all this wokeness, but it got me thinking when you were talking about that. And it's a shame because the Oscars, it was a beautiful movie with no agendas, no nothing, won the best picture at the Comedy Awards, but Will Smith's situation slept and Chris Rock. And what, and what movie was that? Do you remember? That the t- movie was called Coda. Coda. I recommend it to you to watch it. No agenda, beautiful story. Um, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful show. I highly recommend to everyone that's listening to watch it. All right, thank it was you. finally... It was a finally a movie that we didn't have to freaking cringe watching. Excuse me. <laughs> That's okay. I uh, appreciate it. 
But Mr. Golden, my wife and I, we work from home. We love um, your show. I just want to, I have a special request. Yeah. My wife uh, survived COVID pneumonia. And it's been very, very hard this last few months. And finally, thank you, God. You know, she survived it. And she's, she's, she's here and getting stronger and stronger every day. And she's a big turnaround. We love you. And I love you because I think my wife, honestly, we love you. I could see she loves your voice. Would you be able, just a small request on the powerful ABC for 50,000 watts, say hello to my Queen Bellamia? Queen Bellamia, we are so grateful that you recovered from your COVID experience. We're so happy to have you as part of this audience. We love you and we thank you and we are in gratitude for you and for Gaetano. And we thank God that you're with us. My God, thank you so much, Mr. Golden. You're the best and you have fans forever with us. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm your fan, too. So don't forget that. Okay, James Golden here, a.k.a. Bosnian. Now, listen, 12 o'clock last week was last week. I don't know what's going to happen this week. There may be someone else in that uh, in that, in that uh, uh, sleep. By the way, I'm off on Monday. I have to take care of some business. Dominic Carter is going to be with us on Monday. But I'll be back for the rest of the week. Next week, maybe 12, maybe not. I don't know. Someone's going to tell me. But definitely for Boast Nerdly's Rush Hour every day. That's for sure. So make sure you're here for that. And as always, we're going to have, like, we're going to rock the house with great music. And thank you, guys. Thank you, Diego. Thank you, Ryan. You guys, we have, like, a jam session in here on Saturday. It's always so much fun because we get to, you know, talk about the music we're going to play and then, you know, do some surprises along the way. All that's great stuff. And we do appreciate it. So, I just, we don't have time, I don't think, for another call. No, we don't. We are sadly winding out of time. So let me just remind you of a few things on the way out the door. The Daily BS, every day, twice a day, news blast. Go to jamesgolden.com or bosnerly.com. At bosnerly for Twitter, that's at Bo, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y, snerly, at bosnerly. And... If you believe America to be the greatest nation on earth despite the many challenges we all face in life, America will be a land of immense opportunity and reward your sacrifices and you will have a better life. If you want to see this incredible country of ours in a negative light, you'll find the negative. We have a choice of how we see our lives in every day, every day is a reason to be grateful. God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. Larry Cuddle up next. Bye.